of giving us understanding. Might he open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. And in so doing, might he bring glory to Jesus, your son and our savior. Lord, might he bring all things to remembrance. Might he be our teacher tonight. And so, God, we just give this time to you. We give our hearts to you. Do your work, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. This particular psalm has uh, no inscription, as we saw as we were reading it, uh, no title to it. So there's no way of really knowing who wrote this other than by perhaps looking at the the, um, the the text itself and uh, understanding that it it, can, it it is like some of the other psalms. In fact, if we look at Psalm ninety, you know um, the, the very first verse in Psalm ninety, which we see is a prayer of Moses, the man of God in the inscription, uh, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The idea of dwelling place is there. Certainly, that is here in the very first verse of the 91st Psalm as well. And that as well as the, 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 uh, the fact that it does bear sections of it, do bear close resemblances to what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 33, which are songs that were written by Moses. And so it's reasonable to deduce from that that this is a psalm written by Moses, um, Jewish tradition says it, it was written by Moses. So th- those are some good reason to, to, to give this to Moses in terms of uh, ascribing the psalm to him and understanding that it was written by him. Uh, the topic of the psalm basically is that the man or the person, the person who totally trusts in God is going to have a sense of safety and security. God is going to protect that person, watch over that person. And we see that throughout this psalm. Uh, One of the things that has been noticed about this psalm is that it appears to have been written uh, with what would be called an antiphonal arrangement. Uh, antiphonal basically means that if you were at a uh, um, a concert uh, and you've got different sections within within the uh, 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 what's the the, the uh, a choir, for example, if you were at a singing con- concert, two set two two different sections of the choir, and they would be singing and then they'd be responding to each other, kind of talking to each other in dialogue. That's what antiphonal is. And, and so that, that would, it, it seems to fit here as we, as we take a look at this. But, you know, like one person say, saying a few things, another person in response, going back and forth. But then there's a third who actually ends this in verses 14 to 16. That, of course, is the Lord himself uh, speaking to us in those 14th to 16th verses. And just after we, as, we, as we look at this, uh, and if we want to kind of divide it up in terms of um, sections of one speaker and then the second speaker and then going back to the first and so forth, it would appear that the first two verses would be the first speaker who is speaking. And then we would look at verses three and four as the, f- 
second voice coming on, verses 5 through 8, going back to the first speaker, then 9 to 13, going back to the second speaker, and then again, verses 14 to 16, that would be the voice of God as he speaks to our hearts. And, and Moses, writing this as a prophet, is speaking for God at that particular point in time in terms of, of God speaking to us directly. All of it, of course, is the word of God, but it's God speaking to us directly uh, in those particular verses. So as we look at verse 1, let's look at verse 1 and 2. As the, uh, we, we see the voice of this first speaker, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. Moses spoke of God as the dwelling place, the habitation, the home of man. This singer seems to accept that great idea and then to speak of the most central chamber of the dwelling place referring to it as the secret place and describing its complete security. And as, as I mentioned, that's exactly what this does. It just describes the security for every follower of God, every, every Christian, every person who knows Jesus Christ, that, that we can rest and be safe in that secret place. Um, as we have an understanding of that, you know, what, what does that actually mean? And we talked about this some last week, but just the idea of the dwelling place of God. Um, how is it that we actually dwell in him, dwell in that secret place, or have God as a dwelling place? Well, Charles Spurgeon said this, into the secret place, those only come who know the love of God in Christ Jesus and those only dwell there to whom to live is Christ. He uses that phrase that the Apostle Paul wrote, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? That he, that he wrote to the Philippians. And um, I think that's a great great way to describe it. If we are living in him, if, if he is our life, if he is the purpose for our living, you know, um, if we have accepted his purpose for us, as Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, that his purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. If we've accepted that, we've acknowledged that, and so that has become our purpose for living, our purpose for living becoming to be more like Jesus, not to be happy, not to be uh, uh, comfortable, not to have our way, but to become like Jesus, to be made more and more like him. And if that's our purpose for life, if that's where our hearts are, then this describes where we will be, or this describes where we are. And the person who has that, owns that kind of an attitude, 
is going to be this one that is described here as the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That's a secret place because, well, not every Christian dwells there. It is only those who have uh, really been able to uh, gain access to that particular place through that attitude that we talked about. Really owning what God has for us as his purpose in our hearts and in our lives. And so if we are in that secret place of the, of the, of the Most High, dwelling in that place, dwelling, staying there. We, we uh, uh, spoke last week in Psalm 90 about the dwelling place and, and you know, the uh, dwelling place referring to an abode, a place where you live, and makes us think of the, the verb abide, just remaining there, continuing there. You know, I mean, it's all the same kind of a thought. If we really are doing that, then we're going to dwell in that secret place. And as Spurgeon also wrote, he said, into the secret place, excuse me, I just read that. Uh, secondly, he said, those who commune with God are safe with him. No evil can reach them, for the outstretched wings of his power and love cover them from all harm. In terms of this second verse, this first speaker says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my God, I'm sorry, and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Notice how personal this is. He's not saying he is a refuge for all. No, he's my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. In him I will trust. I, I think we as believers, we as Christians, we who uh, have received the New Testament, the apostolic doctrine, we who have uh, experienced the reality of having received Christ and the Lord placing his Holy Spirit within us, we have some understanding of communion with God that people in the Old Testament times did not. We have that understanding because God has chosen to dwell within us. I, I mean, these, these places, I mean, these uh, uh, two psalms begin with this idea of, of God being a dwelling place or dwelling with him, dwelling in the, his secret place uh, 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 of, the of the Most High. And, all, and, and, and yet God himself has chosen to, to dwell within us. And... I would say simply that he's chosen to do this so this can happen for us. So this can happen. He brings us into this fellowship and he dwells within us so that we can build that relationship and have commune, uh, a communing experience, fellowshipping experience with him, to have intimacy with him. And if we're able to do that, then these things certainly apply. F.B. Meyer writes this. He wrote, have you ever said definitely, O oh Lord, thou art my refuge? You probably wouldn't say it like this. O oh Lord, you are my refuge. 
he continues writing, fleeing from all other, have you sheltered in him from the windy storm and tempest, from the harrow by day and pestilence by night, from man and devil? You must avow it. Do not only think it, but say it. Now, let's not be thinking that if we say something, it's going to come true. That's not true. But I think it can help us if, if, we, if we are bold enough to say this is true in our prayers to him, to say it to him, Lord, you are my refuge. You are my peace. You are my hope. I, I, I depend on you. I rely on you only to be that for me because I can find those things only in you. That's what you are. To, you know, as we say it, isn't it true that as, even as we hear ourselves say it, we, we gain more confidence in the truth of it? I mean, we were able to own it more for ourselves, you know? Um, yeah, but again, saying it doesn't make it true. It's got to be true. But I think if we do say what's true, and if that is true, then we're going to have a, a greater sense of it, a greater awareness of it on, on a constant basis. And I, and I think that that's, uh, some, there, there's something that's powerful in that. But he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. I pray that everyone in this room can say ex precisely those words and follow it up with the words, in him will I trust. Psalm 18.2, David writing this particular psalm, familiar words and very similar words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I mean, that, that's such a powerful verse. It's such a powerful verse. And as we read verses like this, I think one, one thing for us to ask ourselves is simply the question, Lord, are you all those things to me? He might say something like this, well, am I? He wants to be. He wants to be. He certainly was that to David. We see Moses writing of the one who dwells in that secret place of the Most High as one who says that. Can we say that? Is he really all those things to us? I pray that he is. In verses 3 and 4, the uh, response of the second person answering back to this one who, who says, I will say, um, he says, surely he shall deliver you. And it's like, because of this, surely he will, right? Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Well, as the writer Moses writes, surely he shall deliver you. Certainly, I mean, it is a truth. It is certain that he shall deliver you given this truth that you just stated. 
Now, it's, it's, it's not just given because he's God. Now, he wants to be that for us. He's in the place where he will be that for us, but we have to make him that. Uh, and we're going to see that a little bit later as well, that the idea of that. But we have to own him that, that way. You know, like David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then many things, he, wonderful things he writes in that Psalm because the Lord is his shepherd. You know, the question is, well, is the Lord your shepherd? Have you placed yourself, yourself uh, in a place where you are his sheep and you follow him like a sheep? You understand you need him like a sheep needs a shepherd? But you can't find a place to eat. You can't find a place to drink. You're not safe outside of the guidance and the protection and nearness to, be, to your shepherd. Is that, is, that how you, is that how you live your life? Is that where you're at? You know, I mean, so we make him our shepherd. And we make him these things as well. And so the deliverance will come because of that real, reality. The deliverance from the snare of the fowler. A snare, it, it's, it's a trap, right? The entrapments in life. You know, um, every temptation that we receive from the enemy is like a snare. There's deception that goes along with it. You know, I mean, you can't have a good snare that's going to work if you just leave it in plain sight, right? I mean, so it's covered up. It, it, the, the, the fowler will, will cover it up, and, and uh, you, you know, if it's uh, whether it might be a, something that snaps on the leg of, a, of, of an animal or, or a rope that might bring them up or, or a cage that might drop on top of them, whatever it might be, you know, it, it's, it's hidden. It's not in plain sight, and the tripwire is going to be disguised. You know, those kinds of things, just a deception to make you not aware that the trap is there. And every temptation he brings to us, that's the case. He wants to make, make us believe that what he says is really true, that we really are going to find some kind of a blessing, that we are going to find some, some kind of a benefit for going his route that he wants us to go with his, with his thought, and my only thought he has is he wants to entrap us so that he can do his work of destroying us. He comes to, to, to kill and steal and destroy. That's what he does. And he's like a fowler who sets a snare. But as we see in so many psalms, we've seen it a number of times in, so, in psalms we've written or that we've read already, uh, how in the Lord, as he is our guide, he will turn those snares backward on the fowler, on Satan, and he will entrap himself. That, that's what the Lord does for us. But certainly that's going to take place. And he will deliver us from the perilous pestilence as well. He's going to cover us with his feathers, and under his wings he'll, under his wings we, you, shall take refuge. His truth will be your shield and your buckler. But a buckler uh, basically is an added protection. You've got the shield, but then the added protection, probably like armor that you're wearing. This would be for obviously for the the, the soldier uh, wearing the buck the buckler, the the, uh, the the shield that he's got before him, and his truth provides that. But if we see in verse 4, though, that <laughs> Moses writes, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings 
will take refuge. Now, obviously, this uh, is analogous. You know, it's, he, he's not calling God a, a bird. But his heart to protect his children is the same as a mama bird's heart to protect her young. Did you guys see, um, this in the last several months, just a few months ago, uh, I think it was February, when we were having, when we got snow, remember when we got that snow down here in the valley? You know, and we, there was a blizzard up in Big Bear. Did you guys see any of the footage of those eagles that, had lit that, that were protecting their, their eggs in that tree up in Big Bear? You know, I mean, just, I mean, and, and uh, the, not just simply the mama, but the papa was there too. They were taking turns. So that, that's what eagles do. But, um, you know, I mean, you could see them there in the, in the nest, the, the eagle itself covered with snow and protecting that egg, protecting that little egg, uh, eaglet that hasn't yet hatched out of that egg, you know? And I, I think that's a, a, a beautiful picture you know, of, of the protection that a, a mama bird, whether it's an eagle, whether it's a, a hen or another kind of a bird, will protect her young. You know, that, that, that's what mama birds do. You know, and seeing that, I couldn't help but think, you know, I wonder why there aren't more human mothers with that kind of an attitude, willing to protect the babies, their unbirthed babies that are within their own wombs. I know the vast majority of women do that, but there's so many who don't. I wonder why that is the case. There's a lot of deception that's involved there as well. In Matthew chapter 23, after Jesus had pronounced his seven woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes and, 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 the, and, the, and the priests, the chief priests in particular, verse 37, he said this. These are words that are familiar to you. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus cited the same kind of an example. But notice, as he's speaking to these, these Jews, these Hebrews, he's speaking about how often he himself wanted to do that. You know, and, and we would... We would think that, I mean, as we read the Old Testament, that it's the Father who's wanting to do that. But, you know, I'm, in reality, it's both. But Jesus tells them, I, as your God, have wanted to do this forever. How many times I wanted, but you just aren't willing. You've not been willing to do it. You've not been willing to stay under the protection of my wings. You just wander off on your own. And, you know, the, the way that we stay under the protection of his wings is by living a life of obedience. 
He's our God and we're his people. He's our master and Lord. We are his servants. He's our father. We're his children. And, 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 and so we're in that place where we need to acknowledge him as God and treat him as God. And since he's God, we listen to him. And then we do what he said. I mean, because he's God, right? And, and that's the idea there. But gosh, we, we see him speaking. I mean, we, we see here in Psalm, Psalm 91, Moses promising that that's what God's going to do. Then Jesus, years later, I mean, if Moses wrote this, that means this, is, this was like 1,400 years before Jesus, 3,400 years ago. Um, and 1,400 years later, when, when Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees and scribes and so forth, he cites the same kind of an example. How often I wanted to do this, but you just wouldn't let me. You were unwilling. You were not willing. It speaks to the reality that there are times that we make decisions that even as God may, may desire to bless us in some way or protect us in some way, we move out from that area of protection and then we're just kind of on our own. Now, he will come after the lamb, the sheep who strayed away. He won't allow us to be destroyed. But there are many times we don't need to suffer any kind of pain at all. And whenever we suffer a consequence for something that we have done, a bad choice that we've made, that's exactly what's happened. So many times it could have been worse in terms of the consequence. And, you know, I mean, th there are many times that perhaps we've made bad choices and there was very little consequence if, if, if one at all. There was perhaps not one at all. And the way we respond to that is, boy, I got away with that. I mean, you know, apparently God doesn't really care. I guess it's okay if I do this, you know. We'll, we'll take that kind of an attitude. His truth is our shield and buckler. Our, our shield and armor. You know, in John 17, 17, Jesus, as he prayed for his apostles, said, sanctify them, set them, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And certainly we as believers, we as the children of God, we as disciples of Jesus, Truth is very important for us, but we are set aside, we are set apart by his truth, set apart from the world, yes, set apart from the way we used to be before we came to him, but at the same time, set apart for him, set apart from the world and near to him. And in that nearness, in that set-apartedness, if you will, in that being sanctified, you know, we're, we're near him and, and we are under the shadow of his wings, under the shadow of the Almighty. And we are protected by him. Verses 5 to 8. Here we see the original speaker speaking again. 
And here we see the um, confidence of the one who is covered by the Lord, who is protected by the Lord. Verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Now, these are all things that take place in life, basically, is the, the way that it's worded. Verses 7 to 8, we, we see this spoken. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. You're only going to see it happen to others close around you, but not to you. A thousand may fall. 10,000 may be at your, or uh, 10,000 at your right hand, at your side or at your right hand. But nobody says here, verse five and six, There's no fear. No fear in verses 5 and 6. You won't be afraid of the terror by night. Um, the idea of the terror by night would be a, a robber or a thief who breaks in to steal things into your, from your home or a business or whatever it may be. You know, uh, the, the, they do their work in the, in the darkness. You know, that, um, I mean, lately we've been, we've been seeing more and more brazen acts done by criminals in broad daylight. But normally it still is at night in the darkness so that they can't be seen. So that's the idea of terror by night. Uh, nor of the arrow that flies by day. And this, this just speaks of the, the, the dangers of, of battle, dangers of warfare. Uh, pestilence that walks in darkness. Uh, pestilence like thieves, will, will strike you without you knowing that, it's, that, it, that it has struck uh, until there are some kind of visible signs of it. And then, of course, the last one in verse 6, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Uh, the, the idea of noonday speaks of the hottest part of the day. And this would speak of, you know, uh, the destruction that lays waste in the hottest part of the day. If you're out in the field of battle, it's the hottest part of the day. I mean, you, you could you come down with some kind of uh, uh, um, sunstroke or something, especially with all of the armor that you're wearing and, and, and so forth. You know, I mean, that, that's what can take place. It seems that that could be a reference to that. But, but these are things that take place in our lives and different walks of life and so forth. But none of them will harm you, and you will be afraid of none because it's only going to be taking place to those who are around you. Now, the way that it's worded there in verses 7 and 8, you know, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but not, it's not going to hit you. It's like there are a lot more people who are not safe under the shadow of the Almighty Wait, there are a lot more people who are safe. Wait, wait, who are not safe? That's right. Who are not safe than those who are. 
very few people find that place of safety. It's, it's like that's how it's written. You know, but it's like broad is the way to destruction, narrow is the gate to life, right? Same kind of thought, same kind of thought. But only those who are in this place will, will be able to be rid of the fear of these things and, and see that it's only happening to those who are around us. This, this causes us to think, the way, the way that this is worded, causes us to think of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3a, the first part of verse 3. Beautiful, beautiful uh, words here. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. And one thing that's cool about that is we find that in the Old Testament, the Lord refers to the nation of Israel as Jacob. And, and it's a very valid name for Israel. But this is what Jacob's name was before God touched him, and then he called him Israel. So this is, in reference to the nation, this is in reference to the nation in its flesh, in the sense of not responding to God, not following after God, not being obedient to God, and so forth. Israel being a spiritual name, speaking of closeness to God. You know, so that's one of the things that's cool about the way that this particular passage begins. But he says, the Lord says to, to uh, Israel, through Jacob, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Isn't it great to know that we've been redeemed by God? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Beautiful, beautiful words. The promise that God makes to those who are His. Now, Let's go ahead and move into verse 9, 9 to 13. We see the response of the second spe uh, person speaking to the first now. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. So now he's responding, I mean, basically you know, almost quoting those words from the first verse. But he's saying, because you've done this now, because you have made the Lord and, and uh, uh, your dwelling place. And again, it's something we have to do. He's there to be our dwelling place, but it is something that we do through the choices we make in following after him. We make him our dwelling place. He gives us a desire to do it, perhaps. But we're the ones we have. We do have to follow through. You know, I mean, it's it's all the the grace of God, but at the same time, there are choices that we make to follow. Anyway, 
we see these words again. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. He's my refuge, and you've made him your dwelling place. These are the blessings that will come. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. So, so these verses reveal to us what the Lord will do for those who make him their dwelling place. And they do seem to apply especially to the Messiah. They apply to us as well. But they do seem to apply especially to the Messiah. These verse verse, uh, 9 basically tells us how these promises in the following verses may be realized in our lives by making him our dwelling place, by uh, making him our refuge. This is how we will experience these blessings. And it's just interesting to note, again, we make him our dwelling place, He's not going to force us to make him our dwelling place. You know, it's not like he's saying, I'm your dwelling place, get in here. You know, he he doesn't do that. I mean, he doesn't do it against our will, which speaks to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks, her, her chicks, excuse me, her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He says the same thing to us in the sense of, I'm not going to force you. Please come. Please come. I'm I'm here to be that for you, but it's your choice. It's your choice. So in verses 10 to 13, we see that there's no evil nor nor plague. Uh, He gives us angels to protect us and keep us. Um, I, for, I, for one, I'm going to choose Mike Trout, by the way. There's going to be an angel that's going to protect me. I'm going to choose him. Um, we, we, we see that, you know, it's interesting here, as we look at verses uh, 11 and 12, uh, these are words that Satan used to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. But he did leave out the second part of verse 11. What he said to him, uh, in fact, let let me go ahead and read Matthew 4, verses 6 and 7. Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. This is after he brought him up on the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Uh, He didn't quote the second part there, to keep you in all your ways. He just skipped that 
Just an example of the way that the Lord, uh, excuse me, the way that the devil, the way that Satan twists God's word to leave some parts out, make it sound like it's really God's word, but he leaves things out of it as he's tempting us. You know, and, you know, we, we need to have an understanding of God's word to, to guard us from that, from what he does. But Jesus' response to that in, in verse 7 is, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know, you, you don't just jump off of mountainside just simply because the Lord says he's going to protect you. Right? That's what Jesus is basically saying. And, and we see in verses... So, so anyway, we, we do see that angels are given to us, verses 11 and 12, to care for us, watch over us. He gives his angels charge over you to protect us and watch over us. In verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion. This is the, the young lion is the lion in its greatest strength, the time in his life that he's strongest. And the serpent you shall trample underfoot. And these ideas, uh, these ideas of, of treading, treading, upon, treading upon or trampling underfoot, it's that ancient practice of a victorious king placing his foot upon the neck of the defeated enemy, the defeated king. And so trampling underfoot, uh, 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 treading upon, that's the idea that's be behind that. And so what we are being told is that if we make the most high, if we make the Lord our dwelling place, if he is our refuge, then this is what's going to be taking place. You know, even the most powerful enemy is going to be under our feet. That's what this is saying. I've got some thoughts that I'm going to share about that in just a moment. Finally, verses 14 to 16. These words are God speaking, following up on all that has been spoken already by these two and getting his own word. And basically what he's doing here is he is confirming all that has been said in his own words. You know, it's one thing for, for you to say, you know, God said this and God said that, but when God says, says it himself, right? That, that's the idea here. So verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. It's interesting, because he has set his love upon me. It's important to note that. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he has set his love upon me. Now, how is it that the Lord knows that we love him? What did Jesus say? If you love me. Keep my commandments, right? It's very simple. Very, now, not necessarily easy, but simple. It's a simple thing. You prove your love for God by the way 
you follow him by the way that you keep his commandments. I just want to remind you that when Jesus said that, the word keep is, it means more than obey because it's a word that, it's a military term. It's, it's a, a, a sentry, a guard watching over the prison, you know, uh, uh, or watching over uh, the, the storehouse. Of, of, of precious items or uh, watching over an encampment. You know, you got your four or five, six guard stations and you got your sentries just protecting the, the rest of the soldiers. You know, and, and the idea being that as a sentry, keeping or guarding, you're, you're keeping or guarding something that is very valuable, very precious. That's the idea behind that. So when we keep God's word, when we keep the commandments of the Lord, we are showing others how precious and how valuable and how important those commandments are through our obedience to them. And in keeping the commandments and showing that they are precious and valuable and important, we are also saying the one who gave the commandment is that. Very, very important, very precious, very 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 valuable, very precious to us, you know. And so that's the idea behind keeping. But that's how, that's how we show that we love the Lord. We also see, see in Psalm 910, because we see in the, first, the 14th verse here, the last part of it, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Psalm 9.10, and those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Another promise, have not forsaken. He will not forsake those who seek after him. So the Lord speaks in these verses about how he will deliver us if we're in this place with him, if we love him, if we know his name, which basically means if we know him. So he's going to deliver us. He will set us on high, meaning that he'll exalt us. Um, he'll answer us when we call upon him. He'll be with us in trouble. He'll deliver us once again and honor us. God honors the one who honors him. He'll give us long life, satisfying us by giving us long, long life, and show us his salvation. He will cause us to experience his salvation. That's what that speaks of. That's what he does for the one who loves him, who has set his, his, his love upon him, and who knows his name. And those are two terms that speak about this is that, that those are, that, that's what um, dwelling, making God his, our, our dwelling place is all about. Loving him, knowing him. Uh, he'll place us in that secret place of the Most High. Now, having gone through all these things, all these promises, it would seem to us that we should never have any problems. 
doesn't it? Well, I love God, and this happened to me. Why? This seems to be a promise that it won't happen. What's going on? I don't get it. Right? I mean, that's what it could seem like. I, I, I think one of the answers to that dilemma is that in the Old Testament, truly things like long life and safety and protection, those things were signs of God's hand on a person's life. Um, today, that's not so much the case. In the age in which we live, the New Testament period, since God has placed his Holy Spirit within us, we receive incredible numbers of blessings that Old, that Old Testament saints didn't. But it also um, speaks to the fact that it's more of a spiritual thing for us than actually a physical thing. It's not so much physical harm we're going to be spared from or emotional harm we're going to be spared from. It's not what he's talking about. We're spared from the design of the enemy to use those things to pull us from God. That's not going to happen. He's going to keep us. He is able to keep us in him. And it's all about us finding ourselves and staying in a place of safety in terms of our relationship with Jesus. And in his power, in his strength, in his love, in the peace that he gives to us. I, I mean, Jesus himself said that in, uh, that, that, um, in the world we're going to have tribulation. You know, I mean, he said that. And so we're, we're not promised. And, and Peter writes about, you know, why, why do we consider it strange that, that's, that uh, the fiery trial that's among us, you know? It's like we, we, we should expect that. And yet this would seem like it looks like it's not. But again, it, it's, a, it's, it's a spiritual thing for us. Um, we, all, we all, of course, do experience pain. We all are touched by the, the brokenness in this world. Um, when sin entered into the world, it became broken. That's when death came. Adam and Eve didn't physically die at that moment, but spiritually they did. They were separated from their God, and that could only be remedied through sacrifice. In fact, they were covered through an animal sacrifice that God did. I mean, God, who is spirit, obviously this is Jesus Christ, went into the wilderness, killed animals, came back with the hides of those animals to give to Adam and Eve to cover themselves because of their sinfulness. Interesting. But the point being, we're talking about spiritual things here. We have to keep that quote of Jesus in its proper context there in, Acts, in John 16.33 when he said, these things, again, all those things that he spoke in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, there in John, in his upper room discourse, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we are promised that in spite of living in a world of trouble, and we're guaranteed that we're going to be touched by the trouble in this world. 
by the sinfulness that's in this world, by the sickness, by the disease, by death, by uh, evil, by wickedness, the choices of other people that are wicked and so forth, selfish or whatever. You know, we're going to be touched by, by the world, but in Jesus, we may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We can be encouraged, even though living in this world of pain, because he's overcome it, meaning the enemy is not going to have his way. He's not going to be victorious over, he, over you because there's more than the physical things in this life. You know, we, 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 we go through those things. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. In me you may have peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It says nothing about your bodies. Nothing about your emotions. The, the spiritual aspect. Our thinking. The, the, the way we view God. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, that's, a, that's such a powerful verse right there. Right in this section about rejoicing, I mean, those were words before verse 6. Verse 4 was rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, I mean, this is in the middle of all that. Then ending in verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, th these are ways that we find peace. But you know, when we, when we have this kind of faith that these things are talking about, when we trust in our God, as I said, we're not going to be, be destroyed. We're not going to be drawn away from the Lord, pulled away from Him. Our, our relationship with Him will remain intact and it will remain good because of His power to keep us. He keeps us. We've got to remember that. You know, we, we, we can be messed up physically. We can get destroyed physically. But we won't. The essence of who we are will not. In Jesus, our souls are well. You know, um, speaking about being destroyed physically, that, that's what this horrible, horrible disease is doing to my, my bride. It is destroying her physically. It, li it literally is. You know, because she can't do anything on her own anymore. And she can't even think to do anything on her own anymore. Much less have the strength physically to do it. She, her muscles are pretty useless. They truly are. And it, it has reduced her mentally and physically, you know, to a baby. It really has. But her soul is fine. I know that her soul is fine. I shared with you when um, our, our, our brother and friend, 
uh, Holland, Pastor Holland from uh, Calvary and um, San Clemente came down and led us in worship and stuff. At the end of the worship, he approached Jeanette and he just looked at her and said, you know, your, 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 your mind might be, your brain might not be well, your body might be well, but your soul is well. You know, and he, he, he said, I, I saw you while we were worshiping. He saw this in her. He was trying to worship with us. It was so sweet. I, I loved it. It was, it was very, very special. But what he said is true of all of us. You know, to place our faith in Christ, to follow after him, to make him our dwelling place. You know, our, our souls are just fine. Our souls are well. So I pray that every one of us in this room will be able to say, it is well with my soul regardless of what's going on in our lives. It is well with my soul. So, Father, thank you for, the, for that reality and the hope that that is true. Not only that it can be true, but that it is true, that it is well with our souls. Because of, of Lord, the work that you have done on our behalf, because of what you've done for us, thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us our need, for showing us who we are, and, Lord, drawing us. We've acknowledged our need. We've, we are right with you, and our souls are well. Might we not grow anxious about the things that are going on in our lives? Just simply allow you to work in them and through them. Lord, even as I pray for my, my beautiful bride, Lord, uh, I pray constantly that you'll heal her. Um, I don't know if you will. I sometimes ask myself, Lord, if that's my own lack of faith. I read in the scriptures how you don't heal everyone. You didn't heal the apostle Paul, but you told him, my grace is sufficient. I know your grace is sufficient for me too, for all of us. Thank you for that. God, in it all, as we go through these times and these difficulties, these struggles, the pain, the heartache, the, the, the grieving, all that happens, Lord, might we remain in that place where you are. Might you be our dwelling place. Might you give us hope, peace, joy, love. Give us yourself, Lord. Might we find all that you are. And so, God, have your way. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. The ladies are going to lead us in one last song and then dismiss us. Thank you, ladies, for being here to do that with us, for us. Uh, you guys hang out and uh, be a blessing to one another as you, at the end of the study and all, and... Uh, I pray that the rest of your week, week goes well, and we'll see you this weekend. God bless you.